Welcome to the Answering Religious Era show. My name is Brian Garlick. So glad you could tune in today. This is our live Bible Q&A. We go live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time and we take your Bible questions. And if you have one, you can submit that now. Questions at answeringreligiousera.com or you can private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousera. So if you have a Bible question now is the best time to ask that question. We'll do our very best to answer it live on air. And if not, it will go in the queue and uh, we'll we'll get to it, uh, Lord willing, next Wednesday. Uh, we do already have some questions lined up. If you do question or if you do submit a question on a video that's been shared on Facebook, we might not see it. So we do ask that you email us or private message us on our Facebook page. We also want to highlight our daily show. It's called The Daily Answer with Mark Dunnigan. It's on podcast only. And if you are interested in being challenged every morning at 5 a.m. Eastern time as the episode drops and as you're getting ready for work, then we encourage you to check out the Daily Answer podcast with Mark Dunnigan, who is on the show uh, today. Appreciate all the work that he puts into that. And we'll have some other announcements uh, toward the end of the uh, broadcast today. But gentlemen, it is good to see all of you and uh, looking forward to uh, answering these questions and uh, helping out the audience to come to uh, better faith in the scriptures and, and in Christ. And so appreciate your your time uh, being on the show today. Uh, Nick, let's open up with a word of prayer with you, if you don't mind, and then we'll jump into it. Bow with me, please. Our Holy Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer again this morning, grateful for the opportunity to be able to share your word and your truth in such a fascinating medium, being online and being able to broadcast uh, not only locally, but also globally. We pray, Father, for those who are listening to this message, whether it's live today or recording later. We pray that they will have the heart that is worthy and, and willing to listen and, and understand who you are and what you are and what you will have us to be through your word. We pray, Father, for their conviction and for their faithfulness. And Father, we pray that we have the wisdom to be able to rightly divide the word of truth so that we can share it with others so that they can become followers and disciples of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, it's through your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Appreciate that, Nick. Uh, you know, Nick prayed about the gospel going out. Uh, we haven't done this in a while, so I guess we should. Um, we're not just a Q&A show. We're also, we want, we want to help you uh, if you are searching for the truth and maybe you need uh, to study with someone, you would like to study with a preacher or find a local church. We'd love to help you out with that. You can email us questions at answering religious air. Dot com And maybe you live in our area and you'd like to meet with one of us. I, I live in Texarkana, Texas, and I preach for the Franklin Drive Church of Christ. Uh, Nick, you want to tell the audience where you're from and maybe there's some watching who are in, in your area and then we'll go around the room as well. Yeah, so I preach in uh, Butler County, Kentucky, just outside of Morgantown. This is about uh, 30, 30, 40 minutes north of Bowling Green going towards Owensboro. And so if anybody's in my area, uh, check us out. Uh, 3628 Lovely Road, uh, and that is Christian Home Church of Christ. Good deal. Brian, what you got? Yeah, I'm up in the Hillsboro, Oregon area. <clears throat> Hillsboro is a suburb of uh, uh, Portland area. So I preach with the Cornelius Church of Christ. So anytime you're out in our area, let us know. Love to love to get to visit with you. Stephen? I'm in uh, Athens, Alabama, which is uh, about as north as you can go in Athens before you hit Tennessee. You were right off I-65. And uh, I'm at the uh, Pepper Road Church of Christ. Um, there's lots of churches, lots of good brethren in Athens, um, but I've uh, been here about eight years. And if you're in the Athens, Decatur, Huntsville area, 
uh, or even up into the uh, southern Tennessee area, we'd we'd love to have you visit with us sometime. I appreciate it. I would call on Mark, but he's not really full time preaching. Go ahead. Tell, tell the audience where you're at today. Uh, Wesley Chapel, Florida, north of Tampa. Uh, right now, keyed into the Livingston congregation. Uh, we'll be here for a number of months, but then we're heading out again. We'll be up through the Alabama, Tennessee area and up into New England and then over Oregon, Oregon in the summer. So uh, I can find you. I've got wheels. I got wheels. So, uh, yeah, uh, kind of like Grubhub for a Bible class. You order it now. I'll, I'll show up there. There you go. Uh, DoorDash is better. But anyway, who's who's going to argue that point? All right. This is our live Bible Q&A. If you have a Bible question, email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair. But first, before we get into our questions, it is meme time. All right. Uh, today's uh, meme that we have was sent in by a viewer. Uh, one could argue it's not a meme, but hey, we take all things that we get in videos and all, and we uh, showcase it here on our meme time. Uh, this is sent in by a viewer, and it says, just a reminder, uh, you're allowed to talk about what they did to you and how it hurts you, and it doesn't matter how they feel about you talking about it, because if they wanted people to think they were nicer, they should have been nicer. Um, this is what the viewer said. I thought uh, I should share that as well. It says, uh, talks about, please, uh, separating uh, which elements of the meme are true and which elements uh, of of, uh, of this is not biblical. Uh, people leaning left share it in support of people failing or feeling like victims who uh, throw out accusations or throw out accusations left and right. Excuse me. It's true that we are supposed to expose the deeds of darkness, but this quote falls short in that it assumes everything everyone says to one another is true. It does not take into consideration the scripture that is related to gossip, slander, uh, and and so on. And it also does not take into consideration whether or not the person who was not nice has repented or not. And if everyone is constantly telling everyone else all the not nice things everyone is doing to them, unnecessarily causes even more division and hatred among us. So I appreciate uh, the viewer sending this in. And uh, so let's uh, let's start with you, Mark Dunnigan. Well, Brian, I thought the viewer had some good um, critiques of this particular statement, because I think the meme is way too simplistic, or you might say way too general. For example, Matthew chapter 18, 15, if your brother sins, or some translations will say, if your brother sins against you, go to him in private. All right. So this statement or meme seems to forget that of someone sins against you, you're just not allowed to voice it necessarily publicly and broadcast it to the world. The, the, the person who wronged you has a chance is to be given an opportunity to repent. And not only that, but that initial meeting also will help you from like misrepresenting them because maybe you read what they said the wrong way. Maybe there was not a sin. Maybe that's just a misunderstanding there. And so you're able to clear that up. Um, boy, when I read this, it, I see a lot of stress on how the person feels, but not a lot of how, how like, okay, but how do others fit into this? Philippians chapter two, verse three, consider others more important than yourself. 
not only that, but there's a huge difference between someone abused you, which is against the law that we need to call in the authorities, and someone hurt your feelings because they did not invite you to an event. There's a world of difference between things like that, things that are clearly sinful, and then things that may have just been an oversight, or people don't have to invite you to every event that they have. Um, I don't know. They're, they're, as, as I go through this, boy, if, if what's just up there on the screen right now, Brian, if I followed that to the letter, I think that's a great way to basically burn every relationship bridge <laughs> you have. I mean, th th that's just one way. Um, and, and not only that, but social the social media platforms have really uh, intensified this. There's a Bible verse I'd like to throw in here. Proverbs, um, it's a book of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. I guess keep that in mind when people post things on social media about someone hurting them. Okay. And and I really like, Brian, what what, what one preacher did with couples or, or people that were having disagreements of, if someone would come and say something about someone else, the preacher would say, well, assuming what you're telling me is true. That's the way he'd always preface that. And so um, that statement in Proverbs, I think, is very relevant in our culture. Man, there's a lot of wisdom of hearing both sides of the story before you make a decision on, okay, where's the truth? Boy, be very careful about going public with something. And not all that, Brian, but boy, be very, very careful about um, getting into a situation where, yeah, you tell your feelings, but make sure you got people willing to push back against you. Make sure you got pe people willing to, that are honest enough that will say, okay, Mark, are, are you really telling that story accurately or is there more to that story that you're not telling us? You want to have people in your life that when you start telling what happened to you, that there's there's some good feedback there, more than just poor soul, poor soul, more than just sympathy, more than just you're a victim. Um, you want more than that. Those are my thoughts right now, Brian. Man, Mark, you sound like you were ready to go on that one. Nick, what you got for me? Well, uh, just follow him up a little bit, uh, going back to Proverbs 27, uh, verses 5 and 6. It says, open rebuke is better than love, carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And so uh, sometimes we get hurt because someone told us the truth that we need to take to heart and listen to. And people get offended easily. And they just shut that other person off and say, well, I'm not going to listen to that person. You hurt my feelings. And uh you know, Paul had to do that with the church in Corinth. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, he says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you may not suffer loss uh, from us in, in anything. So sometimes maybe what hurt us was because they told us the truth and we need to take that to heart. And so that was uh, my follow-up to what Mark was saying there uh, when he uh, 
uh, brought to my memory that Proverbs chapter 27 passage. I appreciate it. Stephen? Yeah, I just want to piggyback on some uh, what Mark brings up as far as the social media aspect of this. When someone posts their grievances publicly, um, number one, I already assume that they are not um, they are not wholly innocent in whatever has happened. Um, I say that because I know they're not handling it in the right way. We've turned justice, uh, the word justice and its definition, completely upside down from the way scripture presents it. There's a very orderly process to get to justice. And, and we have a very chaotic, we advise and counsel a chaotic process to get to justice. And so when there's been actual mistreatment, it is imperative. And it's imperative not just for the person being accused, but for society as a whole, that we follow biblical wisdom in getting to justice because chaos is the result if we don't. But uh, let me add to that, that what social media does is it encourages uh, really only two possible responses. The grievances have been aired. Now I have to pick sides. So I must uh, come and console this person and therefore indicate that that the case has been adjudicated, that this person is true in all their accusations and I am uh, in support of them. Or I am called to publicly question, in which case now I'm the attacker. Uh, And so there's no room for private counsel in this sort of advice. And there's no... There's no clean way forward for us to have some sort of conversation. You know, Mark was saying, make sure you have somebody that pushes back. You will never find any kind of valuable pushback or support on social media because you can't have open and honest conversations on social media. You can only have very messy conversations on social media. So um, so I would just say I understand like the motivation that says, hey, let's let's make sure there's an environment to be able to talk about that. That's fine. Social media will never be that environment. Amen. Amen to all that. Great wisdom, guys. Appreciate that very much. So if you have a meme, you can email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair. All right. Uh, very first question for the day is a super long question. And so we put it on the screen here because we're not going to, we'd have to break it up otherwise. So here we go. Hi, all. Do you think this gentleman has a valid point? Those living in the New Testament era who, through no fault of their own, never came to know about the requirement to be baptized for salvation, but who are sincerely doing the best they can to live a life of submission to Jesus as Savior and Lord. It has rightly been said that at the judgment, God will judge every one of us according to the principle of conscientious response to available light. Many people even in the context of Christendom, are through no fault of their own in complete darkness about the New Testament's teaching that baptism is a salvation event. They are the victims of centuries of false teaching. Nevertheless, they are in their hearts conscientiously submitting to the light they do have about Jesus. If so, even if not immersed for forgiveness of sins in this life, I believe God will accept them on the day of judgment based on this principle. In parentheses, I have briefly set forth this explanation of conscientious response to available light. 
The serious mistake by faith-only sympathizers is to assume that we can apply this same principle to any individual today in our discernment of who is or who is not a Christian and in our judgment of who is or who is not saved now. This is a terrible mistake. Only God knows how much light is truly available to any individual, and only God knows whose response to that light is truly conscientious. All right, this is jam-packed, so good luck, guys, breaking this apart. Uh, go ahead, uh, Mark Dunnigan, let's start with you. All right. I don't like the question. Um. I, I think because to me, the question, and, and I, I'm, I'm glad that we have the question, but the way it's framed, the way the person f frames the question of it's, it, it's kind of like we're, we're making up a what if scenario the way we want it to be. And, and I don't believe that that's reality. Um, Romans chapter one and verse 20, God says that people are without excuse for not believing him and following him and obeying him, Romans 1.20. And so this idea of available light, you know what? I think there's a lot, I think the light's a lot brighter than people want it to be. <laughs> you know, the gospel is going to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And so we got Bibles all over the place. My problem with the idea of, okay, this person has enough biblical information to believe that Jesus is the Messiah that died for their sins, that there's a heaven and a hell, that he's the only way, that he's the path of salvation, that he was raised from the dead. And so I've got enough light to believe that, but I don't have enough light to realize that baptism is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. To me, that's a horrible argument because the very same passages that you would encounter that would convince you about Jesus and that you need to believe in him are often the very same passages that talk about the need to be baptized, like John 3, 5 and Mark 16, 16 and the book of Acts and Romans 6, and you're going to hit it in Colossians 2, and you're going to hit it in 1 Peter 3, 21 and Ephesians chapter 4, and you're going to hit it all over the place. And to me, it just, it is not a realistic argument at all. And then I don't like the statement of no fault of their own. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. No fault of their own. I really question that statement here. What do you mean no fault of their own? Um, you know, read some restoration history of people that pick up the Bible. They pick up the Bible, Brian. And these are people that have been baptized as infants, infant baptism. And they're going like, okay, but there's no infant baptism in the Bible. What are we going to do about that? And the, those that were honest said, well, <laughs> we've never been baptized then. And we need to be baptized scripturally. I don't know, Brian, as I travel, I encounter people from all different backgrounds and upbringings and all sorts of denominations and things that they were in. And I see people that came out of it and said, hey, that's what the text says. And so that's what I'm going to do. So those are my thoughts, Brian. All right. Uh, Brian, what you got? I just want to take this a little bit of a different direction, kind of even connecting to our last question or the comments about the meme. Uh, in the midst of this, the person makes a statement that somebody is a victim of centuries of false teaching. One of the, one of the real problems I have 
is the idea of giving somebody a an identification of being a victim of something. Um, and that's a real problem. And and I'll, I'll make a bold statement here. You cannot be a victim and go to heaven. Uh, you're not a victim of sin. You're the committer of sin. And the important idea to understand is that this person seems to see, is trying to kind of sway this conversation into an idea that, well, you know, these people aren't committers of sin, they're victims of sin. And the real problem is if you're a victim, you can't repent because the identity of being a victim is one where you've surrendered your ability to take control of any situation. And that's a pretty that's a pretty serious thing to do. And we can understand that a, if you're a victim of sin, you can't repent of sin. If you're a victim of sin, you can't change from sinning. Um, it's not just baptism that's uh, uh, required of us. I mean, the idea of repentance, of a cessation from sin, these are all things that if we accept the idea that somebody's a victim of something, uh, that that's a real problem that we have. In fact, if we were to go through the New Testament and think about false teaching, the, the New Testament wants us to think of false teachers as arriving because of the desires of people. I mean, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a great example of, you know, not having a love of the truth that people don't uh, uh, pursue these things. Mark already pointed out Romans chapter 1, uh, which is the passage I always go to in questions like this, where Paul says there is no excuse um, that if people can look even to the creation itself, they can have an understanding of the nature of God and and the idea of, of revelation. And certainly I can't think of an excuse where, where today in the 21st century, anybody has any point to make here that, that there's somehow a, a circumstance where somebody's not hearing the word of God. I think the problem too is that uh, when we start trying to come up with what ifs and and this is a little bit of what Mark said too I know but uh, what ifs and such we're not really trying to find an answer to truth we're trying to find exceptions and that can get us in a lot of trouble. Yeah, <clears throat> and let me uh, jump on that same point um, and extend it just a little bit further. The whole framework here is is sort of suggesting, and Mark alluded to this as well. It's, it's a question saying, is God going to send innocent people to hell? At least that's the implication, right? Here are people who, as, as Brian pointed out, through no fault of their own, they're not at fault. They're not guilty. And, and the implication is they are innocent, and surely God would not send innocent people to hell. And I think we just have to be just so careful um, in, in, you know, making sweeping generalizations uh, like that about people and taking, as, uh, as Brian has indicated, sort of uh, um, self-responsibility um, uh, uh, away from those people. But I, I'd like to add one more element here, and that is from John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, um, Jesus has some extensive conversations with Peter and uh, in talking about what's going to happen to Peter and what his future looks like. And Peter's response at one point, uh, he turns uh, in verse 21 and says, Lord, what about this man? And he's pointing to John. And Jesus's answer is, what if I want him to remain until I come? What is that to you? You follow me. Um, the, the idea a lot of times is when people are confronted with the truth, of God's word. These kind of questions come up to point somewhere else because like Jesus's words to Peter, the truth is hard. And so people say, what about this guy? And what about that guy? 
And, and instead of trying to answer all of those questions, I think our answer needs to focus a little bit more like Jesus. What about you? You know, what, what is that to you? What does it matter? What happens to that guy? You're the one being confronted with truth right now. And in fact, Jesus's answer, John makes it clear as he goes on. He says, now, Jesus didn't say that actually that man was going to was going to live until he returned. He just said, what if? In other words, it doesn't matter if the answer is that he's going to live in the lap of luxury and he's going to live a life of eternal existence until the return of Jesus Christ. None of that's going to happen. But what Jesus is saying is if it did, it wouldn't make a hill of beans of difference about what I just said to you. And so, you know, we confront someone with the truth and they say, well, what about these people over here in this distant land? What does that matter in connection with the truth that you've just been confronted with? And uh, and so I, I think that it's a it's a redirect of focus and we need to redirect the focus back onto the person who's who's hearing the truth at the moment. Hey, great thoughts, guys. All right. Appreciate the question from the viewer there, and I hope we were able to help you there. All right. Next question that we have for today. Is it ever authorized to have a church van or bus? Brian, let's start with you. Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question. And uh, sometimes we're tempted to just say no because of all the uses that we see for that. But let's understand that authority comes of the concept of uh, what would an authorized purpose look like? Uh, well, we can talk about something like evangelism or benevolence or something like that and say, is there, a, is there a time where those things might be used or a church owning a vehicle might be useful for that? And, and I can say possibly, um, but the question becomes, is it expedient? And a lot of times when we talk about things that are authorized, what we're really talking about is whether or not something is expedient to the authority that we have. In other words, is it really uh, the best way or a proper way or a reasonable way? Is it a way that might cause people to stumble? Um, you know, uh, let me just throw another side out there. Sometimes we question things like, should we stream worship services or not? You know, and that's a question of, well, it's authorized, but is it always expedient? So the real question here is not so much is it authorized, because we could probably find concepts of saying, hey, getting people to services for worship uh, members to be edified or, you know, getting the lost to hear things. Well, that that would be authorized. The question is, is it expedient? Is that really the best way to do it? And does that actually create the possibility that somebody might uh, then not live up to their own standards? Of course, sometimes what people say is, hey, you know, we're supposed to personally be taking care of each other and getting each other to places. And so what we're really saying in a moment like that is not saying it's not authorized. We're saying it's not expedient. It, it might create a circumstance where people aren't uh, fulfilling the obligations that they have and that they need to uh, be fulfilling. So uh, my short answer is, yeah, it could be authorized. It could be authorized uh, to the purposes given to the church. But the real question we have to ask ourselves is, is it expedient? And most of the circumstances I can see around me, I would have to say, no, not, not to any congregation I'm familiar with. You know, Brian, I think it would just be have your eyes have your eyes wide open on that one. I think Brian's right. I think there could be situations of where let's say you have a number of people that you can you convert. Um, I mean, and in a neighborhood or whatever, and 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 maybe it maybe it's guys in a halfway house that you've converted a number of them, and 
and so the, the van is that you're able to get them the services and things like that, et cetera. But just have your eyes open because unfortunately, sometimes when the church owns it, people don't take care of it the way they should. <laughs> you know, it's easy when it's not yours. The other thing is there's always the temptation. You know, that church van is sitting there and I got a couch that I need to pick up and I really don't want to just just kind of a heads up there on just the reality of the situation. So um, have your eyes open on that one. Yeah, I, I think that uh, one thing is the, the problem becomes with a lot of these things is not uh, is not so much are they authorized, but the assumption that we ought to have one. You know, a lot of things in, in the um, religious world kind of become assumptions that they are part of a growing church. And if you're growing, then automatically you should have these things. And and it, and it ceases to be a question. Um, I was uh, I used to drive a school bus. And so when I was getting my CDL, I was talking to the instructor and she, um, she asked what I did. And I told her that I was an evangelist and. And so she said, you know, if you get this CDL, then you'll be able to drive uh, a church bus. And I said, well, we don't have a church bus. And she said, well, if you pray, you might. And so her assumption was eventually we, of course, would want a church bus. And that was an automatic thing that we would have if our church grew and prospered. Um, you know, maybe maybe there is a, a need for that at some point, as these guys have pointed out. But we certainly don't want to assume that there is. Did you, did, did you ever pray that prayer? I did not. <laughs> Brian said he's praying for an airplane right now. Wonder, are you going to get it? Probably not. All right. Next question. Moving on. Uh, John 8, 7. When Jesus says the famous cast, the first stone line. I notice people like to use this line to defend sins or a sin they have committed. I do not believe Jesus ever uh, gave any person an excuse to sin. So people are using Jesus's words in John 8, 7 out of context. Am I correct? Who wants this one? Stephen, what you got? Yes. You're correct. Well, that, was um, that was easy. Maybe, maybe to give you a little bit more oh, response. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've got to do it. That was easy. That was that easy. easy. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Um, so... Uh, obviously, look at the full context of the story. Um, to start with, Jesus tells her, go and sin no more. And so his command not to throw the first stone was not a command to not address her sin. Um, he did address her sin. Uh, the command is also in the context of people coming forward and saying, we must apply the law to this situation. We must stone this woman. And so, frankly, uh, Jesus does, I think, address it in terms of the law in, in that he tells them to cast the stones. Right. And and but he puts it in the context of you who are not also engaged in this sin. Cast the first stone. The first stone was to be cast by the witness, by the one who uh, had seen the sin. Right. They're the accuser. You're also going to be the punisher. What these people realized is that. Uh, they that none of them fell into that category, that they all uh, seemingly had some involvement in this sin, which means they should have been on the other side of those stones with the woman, uh, which gets real problematic for what they're trying to accomplish. And really, what they were trying to do is put the law on the bond uh, into a bond. And Jesus showed that they were the ones in the bond, not the law. Um, 
when it comes to today, um, first of all, obviously, uh, we don't live under the, the direction to address sin in this particular way. But if you wanted to carry over and, and make it into, you know, 1 Corinthians 5 and matters of fellowship, I think that would be legitimate. If somebody brought someone forward in a sin and said, we need to address this sinner, and you find that that very person is engaged in the sin, you, you would say, yes, we do. And uh, whoever is not involved in this sin needs to put forward the, the charges. And you might have people walking away one by one. Even that would not mean you don't need to address the sin, but you don't need to address it by letting the person who's also involved in the sin lead the charge. And that's what Jesus was filtering out here. Nick, what you got? Yeah, it's also an issue of hypocrisy, right? I mean, these these guys were trying to trip Jesus. They weren't trying to be serious about this adultery. They were trying to plant the trap. Uh, but people who will use that uh, passage to try to justify ignoring sin might also go to Matthew 7, judge not lest ye be judged. Uh, you know, that's a common uh, argument saying, well, don't judge me. Uh, but what you read through, you keep reading through there, Jesus won't address it as uh, hypocritical judgment. You know, remove the log out of your eye so you can see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not saying ignore that speck in your brother's eye. He's saying remove the log out of your eye first, then you can help your brother. And so we do need to be able to make judgment calls. We do need to be able to determine and discern when there is sin and be able to address it and to, uh, you know, con you know, convict and cause people to feel the agony of sin. And so that does have to come from time to time. Brian, those are excellent comments. You know, it's interesting. It says they caught her in the very act. Well, the law said that the man was to be brought as well. There's no man here. But if they caught her in the very act, <laughs> they had to have seen him too. Um, and so, as Stephen rightly noted, they're being incredibly hypocritical here. They're really not interested in carrying out the law as described. Also, I think some people get caught up in uh, almost like, well, in order to in order to execute just, justice, you would have to be sinless. No. Uh, when God and Jesus, along with the Father, when they gave this law, they were not requiring that the witnesses or the people do the stoning were sinless individuals because nobody like that exists. Uh, and so I think Stephen's point is well taken. Uh, it, Jesus is not saying, okay, Whoever's never sinned in your life, throw the first stone. That's not what he's saying. He, he's talking about the sin under consideration right there. That is, okay, who, whoever here is, you know, okay, if you're not being hypocritical about this and you're being honest about this, et cetera, go ahead, th throw the first stone. I think the other thing at the end of verse um, 11, I do not condemn you. That does not mean that Jesus says, oh, your adultery is okay. What he's saying is, I'm not going to stone you. I'm not going to ask for you the death penalty for you right now. Because he then says, go now and sin no more. He does condemn her right there in the sense that, but I really like what he says here. Um, in contrast to our culture, there's no excuses for her sin. It's not like, well, the way you were raised or your environment or the unfair culture, that's why you're in adultery. No, uh-uh. You've sinned. You're wrong. Stop it. Don't do it anymore. 
you don't have to be a slave of this anymore. You're not, it's almost like Brian saying, you're not a victim. You can choose. Do you want to spend the rest of your life living this way? Or do you want to live differently? Almost like he says, stop it. Live differently. And, and all, not only that, but appreciate the mercy you're given at the moment. Because there's going to be a judgment where Jesus is going to judge that woman. And if she doesn't change, she goes to hell. Those are my thoughts. All right. Appreciate those things. Uh, we're slowly running out of time. What's our next question here? Where is your organization located? Um, I'll take a quick stab at this. Uh, normally, we, we've gotten this question before, and we did answer this question privately uh, to this one individual. But I thought we'd go ahead and throw this one up on the screen as well. We did talk about in the beginning where we are all located and where we preach, uh, but we're just uh, Christians and uh, we are members of the Lord's body. And then individually we meet and work and worship with local churches in our areas. As far as answering religious areas concerned, which um, I think the context of your question is about uh, this it really is no organization in the sense of we have headquarters or anything like that. Uh, it's just something that we've started and a bunch of individual preachers have got together and have, uh, been weekly putting these shows together and putting them on. So uh, anything else y'all want to add to that as far as uh, the organization here? Okay. Well, it might be, you know, you wonder if somebody's asking too about uh, the church or, um, and I don't know if we <laughs> know exactly what the, uh, what the questioner is asking here. Um, so if somebody said, Hey, uh, Brian, your church you go to, where's your organization located? I'd say, well, first Timothy three fifteen you know, where the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that he writes the things he writes so that the church's organization, um, that's not exactly the term he uses, but uh, but the church's conduct, the, the way the church puts itself together is done according to the will of God. Uh, there is no human worldly headquarters for the church that Jesus established, but there is uh, a place of organization, and that is the scriptures, specifically the New Testament. Mark, were you going to say something? Or we're good to move on. You know, that's excellent. If if you want to find the organization for the church, yeah, the New Testament describes it, where Jesus is the sole head. There's no human headquarters, etc. Jesus is head over all things to the church, Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. Each each local congregation uh, is to have like its own elders. Uh first Peter chapter five, verses one through three, and those elders only oversee that group of people and watch for their souls and that's it and uh i think the question brings up a good kind of challenge to a lot of people is pick up your new new testament and read it read it like you've never read it before with fresh eyes and 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 if you're in the denomination can you find the denomination you're part of can you find its worship organizational structure plan out salvation and if you can't then become a member of the church that you can read about in the Bible. It would make me very uncomfortable heading towards eternity, being part of a group that I can't find the name in the Bible, that I can't find the plan of salvation in the Bible. I can't find the worship in the Bible. I can't find its organizational structure in the Bible, etc. That would make you pretty uncomfortable. That doesn't sound like safe ground. Those are my thoughts. Hey, appreciate that. All right. Next question we have here. Uh, give me one second here. 
If a Christian is genuinely unable to assemble on Sunday with brethren for worship, is there authority to partake of communion alone, or is this limited to the assembly? Uh, we get this question sometimes, especially in light of COVID and meeting online and such. Uh, let's start with you, Stephen. What you got for me? Yeah, so <clears throat> when we talk about authority, um, what we're doing is going to the New Testament and looking for patterns, uh, patterns that are established by command, patterns that are ex established by the examples, both of the apostles and the congregations that they established and patterns of inference. And what we find with regards to the Lord's Supper, as far as pattern is concerned, is an assembled activity, not an individual activity. It's often called communion. There is a communing element to it. It is a meal indicating with others. Meals had lots of implications in um, the time of the New Testament and even really throughout most of history that we've lost a lot of today. We don't sit down to meals with lots of implications as much, and we often eat by ourselves. But meals were family and community type activities. And they indicated lots of things about uh, the relationship that we had with each other. And it's one reason first Corinthians chapter five says you, you don't, you can't sit down and have those sorts of meals with people that you don't have fellowship with. And, uh, and so there is a, a great element of fellowship that is missing. And I think people have individualized, uh, the Lord's Supper, as well as a number of other elements of our relationship to God till they think that they can have a separate and distinct ongoing relationship with God without the assembly. And so from that standpoint, I would say, first of all, no, that it's not meant to be an indiv individual activity. Now, having said that, let me add this element. I know that um, during COVID, there were some very unprecedented things that happened, at least unprecedented in our lifetimes. Um, I was talking to my grandfather, who's since passed away when all of that started. And one of the things that he said is, you know, um, ever so often uh, in a generation, we have to deal with things that no one alive has dealt with. And so we have to we have to go and find answers to questions that that we can't just lean on that have been answered, you know, in, in our generation or even in a previous generation. So, so we dealt with things the best way we could. And one of those things meant that uh, assemblies were disrupted in many places that did bring this question to the forefront. I recognize that in those moments, it's not just that you're sick this week or whatever there, there was no assembly to get to. And so that really brought up that question, can we do this? I did not uh, in our home do that. And I did what I think, what I think is likely uh, what faithful Israelites did when they were taken away into captivity. They could not have kept the Passover in the way that it was commanded. Um, they, there were a lot of Jerusalem activities that they could not have done in Babylon. But I don't think that that meant that they completely disregarded the time of Passover, that they didn't even think about it anymore, that it never crossed their minds. Um, and, and so I, I think that they continued to give that 
devotion and that time. If I'm sick on a Sunday, I don't just go, woohoo, I don't have to worry about God today. Uh, you know, I'm still going to take opportunities to give my attention and my focus, even if I can't be with the assembly. I'll add one more thing to that. In the time of Hezekiah, as he was trying to reestablish the Passover, for instance, and he's calling the people back to faithfulness, um, there's an element of time that it takes to get that back on track. And one of the things that happened is that the people were not able to become clean um, in time, not only for the Passover, but even what we might call the backup Passover, right? So that you're, you're given a month and, and there was another day uh, for another week for people to come together for the Passover. Even by then, they weren't able to get everything in place that ought to have been in place for the Passover, but they still partook of it. And Hezekiah's prayer is that God would be merciful to them in this time where things were not ideal. During COVID, things were not ideal. And I am not casting judgment on someone who said, I don't know what to do and I want to continue to devote this time on the Lord's day. And even though it's not ideal that I'm doing this by myself or just me and my wife or what have you, I still want to give that time. I understand that. I think we ought to do that, though, if that's what you choose to do. You ought to do it with the recognition of this is not the ideal. This is not the picture of what God painted. And I am desperate to get back to that picture as soon as possible. Um, so I think all of those elements need to be kept in mind. Brian, what you got? Yeah, you know, uh, when we talk about the pattern, and I appreciate that uh, several things that Stephen said, one of them was that we're looking in the New Testament for a pattern. Um, we see three three concepts about around the Lord's Supper. Um, the word communion, kind of interesting, uh, the word communion doesn't always fit itself to the Lord's Supper as much as to our relationship with each other in the New Testament. Uh, we find that the day it's observed on is set for us. We find the emblems that we're using, unleavened bread, fruit of the vine, we find those things are set for us. And the third thing we find is the people with whom we're taking it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have a very specific conversation about that third point. Um, he's not talking about, hey, you guys are missing the wrong day or, hey, you guys aren't using the right emblems. He says, hey, you guys are missing the point of being together to take this. And one of the things that he says that, that I think speaks to this question is he talks about the idea of discerning the body of Christ. And he talks about if you're eating the cup in an unworthy manner, you're not discerning. Um, and of course, he says that that the, the manifestation of that sin is you don't wait for each other. You're not taking it together. In that case, the body of Christ in the context of 1 Corinthians 11 is not the physical body of Christ. In other words, hey, you got to be thinking about the physical body of Christ when you take this. He's talking about the each other. Um, he's saying you're supposed to be thinking about one another because this is your common declaration together. And I always purpose to somebody who says, oh, I'll take it at home. I say, how are you taking it at home when you're supposed to be taking it in a way that proclaims something to other Christians, to the people that you're working with together? I like to say the Lord's Supper is kind of like a declaration that I have a confidence that the people I'm taking it with are going to heaven. I say that kind of generally speaking. But the idea is, uh, you know, we're looking forward to the day of the Lord's return. Not everybody's looking forward to that. You know, the, the lost aren't going to be looking forward to that. But these people that I am with here, I'm looking forward to the Lord's return with them because I believe that they and I have something important together. That's the proclamation of the Lord's Supper. It's a declaration that, hey, the Lord's coming back. It's not a, 
um, you personally have to take it. In fact, sometimes I like to say that the Lord's Supper might be one of the few things that actually is given to the church, that the church gets to have uh, control over other things like maybe elders, deacons, things like that. But the point is, is that this is something the church has, and it's something that we're supposed to be doing that reflects our togetherness and our, you know, our sense of unity. And all of that is gone in, in taking it by myself. None of that's manifested in that. So, so if I'm taking the Lord's Supper by myself, it's not the Lord's Supper anymore. It can't be because the Lord's Supper is a community uh, a community uh, process, and it ceases to be the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna say exactly what Stephen said. I know we we try not to step on top of each other. But I'm gonna say, with all that being said, you know, there's sometimes people have a weakness of conscience, and they say, I just can't, you know, I just feel so guilty about it, not taking it. I'm not, you know, uh, I I'll step back and hesitantly say, then maybe it's just taking a meal that you know gives you some comfort. Um, and I might not judge about that. And and as Stephen also said, especially in the last couple of years, there was a lot of figuring things out um, that people had to think about. And I think sometimes we don't always give enough thought to what the Lord's Supper is about and, and the community element of it. And so it makes sense that this was one a lot of people struggled with. And this isn't a matter of being critical of those. This is a matter of, hey, it's an opportunity for us to say, what's the Lord's Supper really about? It's about the thing, this togetherness that we are the people that are looking forward to going to heaven. I appreciate those comments there, guys. All right, next question, and this will be our last question for the day. Uh, why did being unclean end in the evening? That's a good one. Anybody want to take a stab? That's where most things end. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, it's the end of a day, uh, and, and so you're counting off uh, days, and, um, you know, a lot of the uncleanness, not all of it, but a lot of it had to do with um, uh, ceremonial things. And so it's it's a certain number of days that you are unclean. And when does a day end? Well, it ends in the evening. And I think that's, you know, I, I don't think it's any more complicated than that. I don't think there's anything symbolic except that it's the end of that period of time. Nick? Uh you know, the idea that unclean means that you're a sinner, that's not always true either, because there are cases in the law where it says that they were unclean, but they would have had to have done it anyway, like touching a dead person or when a woman was on her menstrual cycle, uh, that would make her unclean or touching the dead person would make the person who had touched that person unclean. And so unclean does not necessarily mean sinful. Uh, sometimes it can. It just means a separation from your people. And so there is a set period of time where they would have to be uh, separated. And then once that period of time was over, then they are welcome back into the community. And, and so that particular time, wait until evening uh, or wait seven days or whatever the regulations was. And that does become a pattern for what sin does do, uh, because when we do sin, we are separated from the fellowship of God. But when we can return back to that fellowship. It is a moment of rejoicing where I'm not, you know, alone left in my own mire, but I'm able to uh, be restored and reconciled. I appreciate the distinctions you made there about the sin and, and not sin, just issues under the law. Go ahead, Stephen. Did you have a follow up? Yeah. Just along what uh, Nick was saying there, uncleanness is not sin. It represents sin. And, and I think as we look through the law, that that is now there are times where 
you know, making yourself intentionally unclean or doing something while you're unclean is in fact sin. Um, but the, the point is to teach us about sin so that when your hands are dirty, uh, you know, there, there is, you know, people say, uh, oh, it's not in the Bible that cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, it's not, but something like it is. Um, the idea of cleanness being associated with righteousness and dirtiness being associated with sin. Well, we have other elements there. Um, disease is associated with sin. You're not a sinner if you're sick, but sin is a disease and it is death. And it is um, it is dirt and it is all of these things that 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 are instructive about uncleanness. Uh, and so, um, you know, God set those in, things in place to they're not just, you know, medical necessities. They are theologically instructive. Uh, and so going through those days of uncleanness were instructive to the people about who God is, about his holiness and about what uh, ways our sin can be described. Appreciate those uh, comments, guys. All right, that's our Q&A for the day. Any last-minute comments before we close out? Uh, I just wanted to say, I thought about this at the beginning. We were talking about um, the questions and so forth, um, that we, uh, we appreciate the questions because they challenge us to think through these things as well. Um, it, we're not sitting here just saying, ask all the questions because we have all the answers. It's ask all the questions because uh, we want to know what God's word says too. And, uh, and even, Amen. and so sometimes a question comes and it makes me go, Hmm, no, I, I need to think about that. Um, and so um, we, we appreciate it from that standpoint and, and hopefully it is taken in that vein that we're all, uh, that you're pressing us to go into the scriptures deeper. Amen. Uh, amen. That last question, I don't know the answer to. That's, uh, I still like to work some more on that one. Good job. Good job. Appreciate it, uh, guys. All right. That's all the time we have for today. If you have a Bible question, you can email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair. We go live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time uh, for our live Bible Q&A. And if we didn't get to your question today, we will, Lord willing, next week. We would encourage you to share this video and uh, invite your friends to tune in to the live Bible Q&A and ask their Bible questions as well. And I certainly second everything Stephen said about you challenging us. And uh, we appreciate the time that we can have in searching the scriptures and helping you uh, find the answers. Also, Monday through Friday is the Daily Answer with a podcast with Mark Dunnigan. That drops every morning at 5 a.m. Eastern time. You can listen to that while you're getting ready for work or driving to work and appreciate you tuning into that. That can be found on all major podcast platforms. Then on Tuesdays is our uh, newest uh, series, The Study of Ecclesiastes. We did uh, Ecclesiastes chapter five last night. And so if you missed that, you can check out the archived videos on YouTube, Facebook or Twitter, as well as on podcasts on all major podcast platforms is the audio only version. And then as well as on our Wednesday shows, the same thing is YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and podcasts. Then on Thursdays is Older Women Likewise. It is a show for women by women. And I know they appreciate uh, all the support they get over there and all the viewers, um, the women who uh, tune in and study with them. And if you are a woman, a sister in Christ, or one who is interested in 
biblical things in scripture, then we'd encourage you to check them out. And uh, they, they bring wisdom, godly wisdom to the table. They bring their knowledge of the scriptures and uh, they, they study uh, different topics. And so maybe there's something there would interest you as a woman who is striving to serve Christ and her family and uh, the local church that you're a member of. And so we encourage you every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time, you can find them on Facebook, YouTube, as well as on all major podcast platforms. That's all the time we have for today. So if uh, you'll share this video, we'd appreciate it. Help us support the show and get the word out about our live Bible Q&A. That's all the time we have. God bless.